Boston Loose Baseball, Episode 75. The Nats just put together an incredible ninth-inning comeback. Back-to-back walk-off wins this weekend. We will discuss both of them and the fact that the team's rolling at the big league level. Plus, at the minor league level, Dylan Cruz was named the Player of the Week in the Carolina League after a 5-for-5 with a couple of homers. And speaking of the Fred Nats, Yoandi Morales, the second-round pick out of the University of Miami, is joining us on BLB Episode 75. You will hear from him in a few moments. It all starts now. Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. Boston Loose Baseball, episode 75. I'm Grant Paulson. Toby Altizer's alongside producer Darius Dameron, making everything sound good. Toby, how about that win? We're recording on Monday. This is not dated just yet if everyone's listening on Tuesday morning ahead of a series with Boston. If you went to the game on Saturday night, you saw an eighth-inning game-tying homer and a walk-off ninth-inning home run by Kbert Ruiz, and you saw the second most dramatic win for the Nationals of the weekend. Think about that. Yeah, it was fantastic. I was at the game on Saturday. I was not at the game on Sunday. But the Nationals just keep on fighting. And this idea that they're the scrappy Nats, I think that's exactly what they are. They fight every single night. They keep going until the end. And sometimes they come up short. But in these cases, they found ways to come back late in the game and win it. And, I mean, what a way for the Nationals to do it on Sunday with Jeter Downs getting his first hit, coming all the way back. Just a fantastic series. It's fun. Obviously, you know, you'd like to to beat the A's a little more handily. Who cares, though, Grant? You won the series. You swept them. And this is a team that we were talking about for how long that hadn't swept a series. Now they've swept multiple series. They were terrible at home. Now they're doing well at home. It seems like every time we come up with a criticism of this team, they answer it in some way. They just don't stop coming. And what I love about this group, to your point, is we call them the Scrappy Nats. Do you know how easy it would be for them to not do this? We wouldn't, as a fan base, really take much issue, I don't think, most of us, if when it's 7-2 to in the ninth, they died easier. You know, if you scored a run or no runs and you just kind of got ready for Boston. That's the norm. That is, I don't want to say the expectation, right? You're professionals. You should battle till the end. But that is what typically happens in baseball especially for a last-place team that has no delusions of grandeur here internally. They know they're not going anywhere. They can't make and won't make the playoffs. They're supposed to finish in last. And frankly, if you look at the roster, the roster's not that good. I mean, it just isn't. So what they're doing right now with the stretch that they're on and the wins they're putting together is amazing. But it's all, to me, you referenced... um, You know, I think it was maybe a podcast or two ago, like how hard this team has played for Davey Martinez. And I I was talking about how in 2019, he's the only guy that they could have won the World Series with because they kind of kept playing for him. This is Davey at his best. Like this group, for what it's worth, for this manager, plays its butt off. And you get 100% of everybody. And to come back from down five runs in the ninth with six 
It was their first come-from-behind win in the final inning of a five-run deficit since the game against the Mets when they won 11-10, scored seven in the ninth. I like to call it the Charlie and Dave, you blew it game. If you left this game, you blew it. And they did that bit again, which Mm -hmm. was awesome, uh, yesterday on Sunday as the Nats came back to beat the A's. But games like this don't happen. You know, these are generational-type wins. And what better way to, to sum it up for the Nats than look at some of the guys that took part in it. A big two-run swing from Alex Call, who's barely hitting 200. A game-winning hit from Jeter Downs, who didn't have one hit all season, who started the rally with a walk, who, I mean, I would say 95% of Nats fans couldn't recognize, you know, with his jersey on at a restaurant <laughs> next to the ballpark. It's It's just... It's crazy to watch this team right now because how many times have they done this where they like take advantage of a bad team doing bad things and they just kind of bump their head into a win and and, and they they just keep playing. And, and next thing you know, you look up and they're rallying again. I, I just I love this group right now. It's so fun to watch them as silly as that sounds for their record and, and being in last place. Yeah, I mean, it's just totally different from last year, right, Grant? I mean, there's 27 outs you get to play with and they're going to use all 27 of them last, you know, on Sunday you got to 25 of them, and then they couldn't finish it off, right? I mean, it's one of those things where they just keep fighting, and sometimes they're going to come up short. And let's be honest about this team, like you were saying, you look at the roster, it's not very good. Hopefully it improves as years go on and some of these prospects come up. But the thing that Davey Martinez does a fantastic job of more so than anything else is the guys always play hard, and the guys are always going to fight till the end. And, th- and sometimes it works out for you. Obviously, most games you come in trailing that big in the ninth inning, you're going to lose. But what happens when that one time all the magic goes the right direction? And it it did for the Nationals on Sunday. So these are the kind of games that make these seasons fun because, you know, at the end of the year, the Nationals are going to, you know, win 65, 70 games somewhere around there. They're not going to be anywhere close to playoff contention. But these are the sort of things that give you hope going forward as well as the young guys playing well. So it's really cool to see these sorts of things, and it gives you hope when you go to the ballpark that even if they're not going to win the ball game, they're going to fight to the end because you know there's nothing more discouraging, Grant, than whether it's your baseball team or whatever. You watch a team that you're invested in. Maybe you pay your hard-earned bucks to go there, and they just check out after the third quarter or after the seventh inning because they're down by so many runs. But that doesn't happen with this team. They try every single night. They give their best effort, and it's just really cool to see that. Yeah, and I know that that is kind of what people anticipate from pros, but we all kind of know that's not exactly how it goes. So I, I'm willing to heap some praise in this case. And, and I would add, like, it's one thing to play your at butt off when it's scoreless or it's one nothing or it's 2-1. Like, it's 7-2 to in the ninth, man. Yeah. You've lost the game. The game is over. Mm-hmm. A lot of fans are going home. I- I'm watching or you're listening or vice versa, and and we all kind of know. We don't know exactly how it's going to end, but eventually three more outs are going to be recorded and the Nats are going to be the losers, and you wouldn't have known it from how they went about their business. Uh, but just that, that ninth inning, we normally don't go heavily into the play-by-play, but since they haven't played since, just some kudos for how that inning went down looking at the play-by-play. The Jeter Downs walk, Lane Thomas lined out. So by the way, you had one out and one on. It's even more crazy. Uh, then Manessis singles. Kbert Ruiz, who's been on a tear, singles. We'll talk about him. Stone Garrett base hits. They scored a run, made it 7-3. to three. Station to station. Base is still loaded. Ildemaro Vargas, sacrifice fly. So there's two out. They're still down by three. Riley Adams walks. 
Then you get a pitching change. Dom Smith delivers a walk to score a run 7-5. to five. Then Cole hits a ball to the shortstop, booted, two runs score to tie the game 7-7. Seven, seven. And then Jeter downs again with the base hit to walk it off 8-7. to seven. Just an amazing win for the Nationals. From the post-game notes department, that Mets 10-4 deficit, they turned into an 11-10 win. Believe it or not, that was already four years ago. Wow. Uh, that was the 2019 run before the World Series wow. when special things were happening. September 3rd, 2019, that was the last time they overcame a five-run deficit in the final inning. In fact, overall, the last time they overcame a five-run deficit to win was two years ago in June of 21 at the Phillies. Uh, I mentioned Kbert Ruiz. Three for five in the win, eight for his last 17 at the plate with a couple homers. He homered in back-to-back games, including that walk-off home run at the game you were at on Saturday night. But you got to extrapolate his success out way longer than just a handful of games here. I was actually talking, to, texting, not talking, with Kevin Franzen uh, from the Nats Masson broadcast this weekend, and he was sending me some numbers he has on Ruiz is swinging a little bit more, and he's swinging at better pitches. Like, he was taking good pitches to swing at, and he was swinging at stuff you can't quite do damage with earlier in the year. And he's kind of, I think, notorious for being patient as it is anyway, right? But the back-to-ball skills are there. He doesn't swing and miss. But now he's swinging at the right pitches. So it's 407 average his last seven games, 309 his last 15, 315 over his last 30 with an OPS of almost 900 in that time. It's really, really cool to see him come on the way he has offensively, Toby. And now you look up, and he's hitting in the 260s this year, uh, almost 255, with an OPS of 720, which is league average, with 14 home runs as a catcher. So all of a sudden, he's having an okay offensive season. Yeah, and I'm interested what your thoughts are on this, Grant, but listen to these splits. 226, 279, 360 for a 639 OPS in the first half. Second half, 340, 406, 553 for a 959 OPS. Totally different player in the second half. That's post-All-Star break? Yes. Wow. But we've been talking about this all year long. Like He's put together pretty good at-bats, and it feels like he has grown as a hitter all through this season. But I wonder if now he's starting to get some of the good luck. Right, Grant? Like, we were talking about this earlier in the season, and his expecting batting average was so much higher than his actual batting average. And he was continually hitting the ball hard and putting the ball in play and doing a really good job of putting together really good at-bats. Even the game where he comes away with a walk-off home run, he hits a liner that goes right to the first baseman. Those sort of things, like, he's had happen all season long, and I wonder if this is just a product of he's continually going about his business, doing the right thing. You talk about pride process all the time, putting together a really good at-bat, and now we're starting to see results because of it. Yeah, well, look, coming into the year, we highlighted a handful of guys. These are the guys we care the most about. Uh, C.J. Abrams, all-star in the second half. Kbert Ruiz, all-star in the second half. Josiah Gray was an all-star. Now, he has coincidentally probably not <laughs> been as good in, not the so in the second half, half. as the regression is kind of happening, as we talked about with some of the peripherals for him. And then Mackenzie Gore. But even though he and Gore have been inconsistent, and these are definitely guys I think we need to be tracking fairly closely down the stretch to get some more good out of them, you've got to be elated if you're a Nats fan with how the young core, so to speak, has performed, let alone some of the wins and some of what we're seeing at the big league level from this group as a team where they have been way more successful here recently than we anticipated. I mean, after this win now, they have ripped off. Look at some of the the records here. Uh, I'll pull them up. 
with what they've done lately. But, you know, it's 10 of 12 at home. And uh, I want to say they're 15 and 8 in their last 23 overall. Uh, They have won 8 of 11, 10 of 15, 15 of 23, 19 of 31. And they're 25 and 19, a 570 win percentage, since June 24th. Pretty sure since July, they have the third best record or something like that in the National League. So when you compound that the young guys are all kind of playing pretty well with the fact that they're learning to win, not even to get into, and we will, that the system, good things are happening, uh, it's it's exciting. Uh, Josiah Gray, by the way, in his last seven starts, a 4-3 ERA with a 1-5 whip. So you, you want to see him have a good start here. He's gone four and two-thirds, four runs. Three and two-thirds, five runs, his last two starts. Yeah, I mean, it's a little concerning with Josiah Gray because this is kind of what we were seeing in the first half, but he was finding ways to wiggle out of it, and he's not wiggling out of it now. So hopefully he can find a way to put together a dominant outing just to kind of get things back on track. But going back to overall, Grant, I mean, since July 21st, remember when this team couldn't sweep anyone? They've swept three series. Like, this is a team that couldn't sweep anyone for a hundred and, what, five series in a row? That's a good point, yeah. And now they've swept three series in less than a month? I mean, this is a team that's totally turned the corner in terms of how they're playing. Now, you know, it's it's resulting in wins right now, and if you're worried about all this stuff, we laid it out in a previous podcast, they can't pick any higher than 10th. So it really doesn't matter. Win all the ballgames you want. Exactly. So it's a good thing for the Nationals right now to be winning. And they really can't get much higher than, like, 10th worst in the standings yeah. anyway, or 11th worst. So they're, they're going to be fine there. So don't worry about wins and losses in terms of hurting draft position. It's just nice to see that they're going in the right direction. And you hope what this does, Grant, is Josiah, McKenzie, Kbert, CJ, these guys start learning how to play winning baseball as opposed to just playing professional baseball, now winning at this level. And, you know, they've shown flashes all throughout the season. And, you know, I don't know that you can ask for a whole lot more than what those guys have shown you because. You know, CJ started to turn it around. Now you're starting to see him put it all together. But even in the first half of the season, he was showing flashes of, oh, there's some of the power. There's the glove. There's the ability to steal. Mackenzie Gore, same sort of thing where some outings are bad, no doubt about it. But some outings, like the Kansas City one we go back to quite a bit, he was fantastic. So he shows flashes. I think all these guys are showing you that they've got it. Now it's about growing on that, consistently doing those sort of things, and you'll see this team hopefully take a big step forward next season. To your point, um, early in the year when the the Ruiz and Abrams struggles were happening, I feel like the two pitchers were kind of the the positive. Mm -hmm. Now the two hitters are soaring and and really doing good things, and the two pitchers have regressed a little bit. Um, Gray, post-All-Star break, a 4.78 ERA. Gore, post-All-Star break, a 5.27 ERA in five starts. He had a 4-4 before the break. Gray, obviously, as an All-Star, had a 3-4 run better. Uh, But over his last 26 innings, Josiah, 26 hits. Average against post-All-Star break, about 260. If you look at his numbers by month, his batting average by month, 240, 243, 256, 273, and now in August, 286. So it's gone up literally every single month this season. Meanwhile, Mackenzie Gore has not been a whole lot more hittable. In fact, uh, in July, he was bad, 275. But in June, he got rocked pretty good in five starts at a 290. In May, a, a 285. Uh, so really, he was excellent in April, unhittable. And you want him to get back to some of the success he had missing bats earlier in the year. But I will just double down and say those two guys, their progress, how they finished the season, one of the big stories for me. Dang, zoom. 
Let's go to the minor league level. Dylan Cruz is your Carolina League Player of the Week. He cemented that honor with a Sunday game when he went 5-for-5 with two home runs. So he has now played nine pro games and homered four times. He's got a 380 average as a professional and an 1160 OPS. So far, I'd say he looks like a deserving number two overall pick. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is the Dylan Cruz that you expected. It got off to a little bit of a slow start, but didn't take long because we saw him one night, the next night, he hits his first home run. So it just took a little bit of time for him, but I think he's going to be all right. If anyone was worried about him, I don't think there were many, but if you were, I don't think there's anything to worry about. He's going to be fantastic. Getting on base at a 420 clip so far in the minor leagues. James Wood, with another couple of home runs since we last spoke, now has 21 on the season. That is number one in the Nats system, overtaking, I think it was Travis Blankenhorn, who hit his 20th. I had AAA for AAA Rochester this week and tied uh, James Wood for like three hours until James Wood played his next game. Lincoln Orange, 27. He's played in the big leagues, not a prospect. But Wood now with 21 bombs. And uh, I think you had the video maybe yesterday that I copied off Twitter, but um, man, did that ball get killed. That was just prototypical, like center, center, middle, middle, and James Wood destroyed it over the right center wall. Yeah, he doesn't hit... Wall scrapers, Grant. Yeah. When he hits it, it goes a long way. So, honestly, I cannot wait to see how far he's hitting it at Nationals Park when he gets here. Because, Grant, I think there's going to be a couple of the red seats up there in that 300 level or wherever that is in right field. That, what, there's like eight of those or something like that. Kbert's hit one up there. Bryce has hit a few up there. I think there's going to be some special seats up there for James Wood because... His power is very obvious. Every time you watch one of his home runs, it's not a wall scraper. It's very majestic. He and Dylan Cruz tied for the organizational lead with four homers over the last 10 days. Brady House has seen his power kind of dissipate some uh, at Double A Harrisburg. He hasn't been hitting for home runs, but he certainly is still hitting for average. Another week where he hit 333, nine for his last 27, the number three prospect in the system. Uh, the at bats are still. Pretty good. He had just one walk and nine strikeouts over these last 10 days. So, you know, the walk and strikeout percentages aren't what they have been. But uh, he's hitting the ball hard and loud. Elijah Green is back. Uh, MLB Pipeline's number five overall prospect in the Nats system. 14 plate appearances over the last 10 days now. He came back to rookie ball. He has played in a handful of games there. And he's really killing the ball. Now, it's the complex league. And, frankly, he should destroy the baseball. But just as an FYI, uh, he's 5 for 10 at the plate, uh, has not hit a home run, but he has hit a double and a triple and is slugging over 800 and has a 1,400 OPS. So whatever was going on with his wrist seems to be behind him, which is a good sign. I would think they'll get him to Fredericksburg and probably bump Dylan Cruz up to Wilmington in the next couple of days. Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, it's exciting to see him back and... You know, it's crazy now, Grant, when you look through the Nationals' top prospects, they have so many outfielders that when you look at Elijah Green, he might actually have the highest ceiling out of all the guys, which is crazy to think when we talk about Wood, when we talk about Cruz, he might have the highest ceiling, but because of how good Wood and Cruz are and probably how much safer they are as prospects, you don't like your first-round pick, especially guy that's picked in the top five, to be a luxury that... You know, if he doesn't pay out, pay off, it's not a big deal. But at this point with Elijah Green, he almost feels like a luxury grant. Like, if he turns out to be good. I was actually, it's so funny. Watch too. out. I was texting with someone in their system the other day uh, just about how some of the guys were faring or whatever. Uh, someone in their organization. And I was like, isn't it crazy to think all the, the positive 
you know, that we're talking about it and people heaping praise on them. Three guys in the top 50, first time since 16, all this stuff. And Elijah Green is like a forgotten man. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll say I'm guilty of this. I was skeptical of Elijah Green when they drafted him. Like, I just don't like high schoolers that strike out as much as him. Uh, I, I've put on a good face, and, and I understand why they did it. And the, the talent is unbelievable. The power, the speed, the stolen base ability, like all that. Play at center field. I get what it was. It's the highest ceiling boomer bust guy in the draft. It's the, the prototypical kind of like scout, scout pick, if you will. I understand it. But I have also kind of moved on. I'm not saying he's done. I will never give up on a guy in A-ball who's 19 years old. My point has always been guys that struggle the way he has and have the contact problem he does in A-ball, there's not a great sample of those guys that end up being stars at the big league level. Doesn't mean it can't happen. He's very, very young. So for me, if I'm ranking the system, like I've got Cruz and Wood and House above Elijah Green, obviously. I would put maybe even guys like Dalen Lyle or Robert Hassel or Christian Vaccaro. You know, I, I just I'm lower on Green because my point is if you can't hit the ball, it's hard, man. And I've also seen him what as a scout would say, like seen him bad. And I don't mean that to say he's bad as much as I probably saw him in Fredericksburg four or five times this year, and I bet he went one for 19 with like 12 yeah. strikeouts, if I had to guess. So, like, it doesn't help me as I talk about him. Whereas if I went and saw him and he hit it in for a two-home run game and, and he went over his next 32, I might have a different feel about him. Yeah, I mean, it's a guy that has all the tools in the world, Grant. He can play great in the outfield. He can run around the bases well. He's got a great arm. He can hit for power. He's hit one out of the stadium. The question is, can he hit the baseball? It's literally one thing. Can he hit the baseball? And at this point, he hasn't shown that he can. So hopefully they can work through this. This is where the Nationals development staff really needs to come through. But, you know, again, this is a guy that almost turns into a luxury with Hassel looking like he's turned things around just a little bit. He can be kind of the the safer guy that comes up and, play. you know, bats he's driving the, the ball of, now. He bats in the bottom of the order and, you know, Cruz and Wood are the guys that really make the hay at the top of the order in the middle of the order. But, you know, if Elijah Green comes up and turns out to be the guy that they drafted him to be or at least something like that, that's a weapon that they probably, I mean, you say they're not going to give up on him like we're talking about here, but I mean, at this point, you can't expect him, right? Like, no, I, I think you're. Pro- they probably feel the same way about him as they did at the beginning of the year, to be honest. In in terms of like the amount of resources and time and energy they're going to invest, but they'll be lying if they don't say they're worried. Yeah, one hundred percent. They also know some behind the scenes stuff that I'm sure we're not privy to, because. Mm-hmm. You know, he he just wasn't playing for a little while. Was that health? Was it was it getting him squared away? I, I don't know. But yeah, there's there's just no way after a year with this kind of strikeout rate and this lack of production, so to speak, at that level, that they wouldn't recalibrate in some way or, or kind of rethink how they're doing things. Uh, by the way, speaking of hitting, Trey Lipscomb, 18 for 41 over the last 10 days. A 1,000 OPS continues to tear the cover off the ball in double A. Uh, he, of course, just got moved up to 14 on MLB Pipeline's Nats rankings. You mentioned Robert Hassel. He had an 870 OPS last 10 days, had a couple of home runs and 20 total bases, which was good for top five in the system behind I guess six in the system. It was Cruz, Pinckney, Wood, Morales, Lipscomb, and then Hassel. Uh, and kudos to Jake Alou, who is still technically a prospect, who has handled himself pretty well at the major league level, had some run-scoring hits for the Nationals. Long gone! We mentioned we would let you hear our interview with Yoandi Morales. We did catch up with the Fred Nats slugger, thanks to Eric Bach 
of the Fredericksburg Nationals, who helped get him on the program for us. This was Yoani Morales. Good, good. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Thank you. Why don't we just start with when the Nats drafted you? Uh, in round two, I talked to you a couple times before the draft on MLB Radio. The thought at the time when I talked to you was you were going to go somewhere in the middle of the first round. Somehow you were available yeah. at pick 40. I don't I don't know how that happened. Did you ever make sense of what happened during the draft and, and why you were still there for the Nats at 40 and how it all worked out? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of things just didn't, didn't plan, plan out how it was. Uh, obviously, the draft is a crazy thing, crazy experience, but obviously ended up working at the end. I got to a great organization. Uh, I feel really special to be here and everything. They, they treated me really well, so I'm super happy to be in this position right now. Yeah, and what was that like for you, waiting to hear your name called? You finally get a call with pick number 40, but what was that like for you with the waiting process? Yeah, I mean, super stressful in the beginning, of course, just sitting there with my family and everybody, just waiting to see when my name gets called, and I was there on pick 40, so we were all excited and happy uh, to be picked by a national. So it was a stressful and crazy and amazing experience at the same time. The good thing is it was that first night of the draft, 40th pick, so you didn't have to wait overnight or anything like that. What was your draft party like? What was your setup? You know, who was there? And what were you guys, uh, what was on the menu? What were you eating? Where where, where, where was it? Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, we were at uh, home, me and my family, friends and family. A lot, a lot of people actually couldn't even park some cars. But now uh, a bunch of Cuban food and just everybody's hanging out and just talking. So it was a, obviously a great experience with friends and family. Yeah, and did you know that the Nationals were interested? Obviously, they have the number two overall pick and take Dylan Cruz. Yeah. Didn't you know they weren't picking again till forty? I'm sure you were obviously hoping to be picked earlier than you were. But did you know the Nationals had some interest? Were you thinking that there was a possibility you could go there? Uh, no, actually, I never really spoke to the Nationals before before that night. Wow, that's surprising. That's very interesting. So then they they call your name. I'm sure you were stunned. Uh, what happens after that? Between you know, when you're drafted to when you finally show up and go to the the FCL, like what's that process like? Who do you talk to, and and how much downtime did you have? Uh, zero downtime, honestly. Yeah, I wanted to be prepared and ready before before I even got there. So I was still training on my own and doing the things here and there, just so I could be ready by the time I get there. So there was really no downtime. And what's it been like? Has it just been a whirlwind, everything happening kind of all at once? You get drafted, like you said, not much downtime. Next thing you know, you're playing baseball at yeah. the Florida Complex League. Now you're all the way up in, you know, A-ball. What's it been like for you the last, really, you know, month and a half or so? I mean, it all, it all happened so fast, but it's, it's been an amazing experience being able to just play baseball. And the thing I love is we just play baseball, which I've done my whole life. So everybody has treated me super well, all my teammates and friends here. They've uh, brought me in open arms, and it's just been working really well just playing baseball with the guys and trying to get some wins. Yoandi Morales out of the University of Miami. Second-round pick by the Nats, 21 years old. Been playing third base at Fredericksburg. He's 6'4", 225. So we went out and saw you after uh, really about your first handful of games in Fredericksburg. And the first thing that I noticed sitting by the dugout you are a massive guy, man. I mean, not only you know, six <laughs> four doesn't really cover it, and two twenty five, big, physical, muscular, but you handle third really well. That night, you made two outstanding plays defensively, including okay, slapping a, a tag down. You basically hit a dude right in the face with your glove and the ball, <laughs> trying to get back to the bag, and then whipped it across the infield. So you moved around well. But I, I want to talk about your size. I know your father yeah. was a, a star Cuban baseball player. Like, were you always really big? Have you been? Uh, you know, a guy who lifted weights since you were a kid. Like, tell me a little bit about uh, the maturation no, I, I of your body. Lifting weights, 
I started lifting weights when I got to college, my freshman year of college, and I really was on a program and lifted it all through high school. And with that natural so I, with that natural size, have you always been a baseball player? Did you play football? Did you play any other sports? I've always played baseball in a team. I mean, obviously, like baseball players can play any other sport, so I've played every other sport like for fun, but not, not really in a team, so just baseball my whole life. Were you always super tall? Uh, kind of. Not, not as much as going into my, my junior year of high school that I had a growth spurt. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but you handle your size well. That's why I assume you kind of got used to it along the way. Um, how about your game defensively at third base? I mean, so far you've gotten really good reviews of how you've handled that area at Fredericksburg. What kind of work do you yeah. put in on that side of the ball? I mean, obviously I started when before I got to college, I was a shortstop. So I felt like I've always moved moved pretty well, especially being a shortstop. But it was obviously it was a big change going at third base. When I moved to college, just had a lot of things to work on. Wasn't obviously the best my my first year there, but just started working on on that, and I feel super confident that I was their baseman, and it's been going really well. Especially moving here to Fredericksburg, our infield coach and all the infield coordinators have have helped me in early work, defense, and and things like that. Just getting better every single time. What's been the biggest adjustment for you? We talk all the time, you know, we've talked plenty about Dylan Cruz and coming from the SEC as well as yeah. Andrew Pinkney, your teammate as well. You're coming from the ACC, now playing an A-ball. What's been the biggest adjustment for you? Honestly, the way I look at it is it's just baseball. I've been doing this my whole life. I mean, obviously, adjustments here and there, just, just getting used to different style of pitching, I would say, but that's in-game adjustments that, that I feel like I, I've been making and I could make. So other than that, it's just a game I've been playing my whole life. 18 hits so far and 51 at-bats at Fredericksburg. So that's a 353 average. But what's crazy, Toby, is 18 hits. How about already seven extra base hits? Love it. So the slug is over 500 to go with a 940 OPS. You've been a doubles machine so far in Fredericksburg. What about the level of competition? You know, one thing I've talked with a lot of guys about in the past is I kind of view the SEC, the premium conference, as maybe almost like an A-plus level when you're dealing with the yeah. velocities. What about the ACC? I mean, it's also a good conference. You're taking on some solid pitching. How would you compare what you were dealing with at Miami to, like, the pitching you see in the level of competition in yeah. A-ball right now? I mean, of course, you the, the more you move up in, in the in levels and the further you get going in baseball, obviously the pitching is going to be better than you know, what it is or just different pitching. They know how to pitch you, but... I mean, ACC is up there with, with the SEC. There's, there's always those top teams there and the bottom team as well in the SEC and the ACC. So it's not. I feel like it's not really changed. We we face Florida as well, which is one of the top SEC schools. So I feel like the ACC is right up there with it. But oh. I just feel like you just got to make adjustments and, and keep playing the game you've been playing. I got to ask you about this because, Grant, where did you go to college? George Mason University. Okay, so you were out here in this area. I went to college in Wisconsin Yolanda, you went to college at Miami. What was that yeah. like? <laughs> baseball, baseball, baseball. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. He probably just, you know, <laughs> I was just watching fastballs and curveballs. I didn't see anything else, right, Yolanda? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're just focusing on baseball. Um, do you have a follow-up on Miami, or should I keep it moving? <laughs> I, I, I guess he just played baseball but down you. there, so he had nothing else to go off of. Oh, that's right. Well, <laughs> he doesn't baseball. know anything. I've lived Miami my whole life, so I'd say a thing every day. That's funny. <laughs> um, I, I want to get into your, your approach at the plate. So when you were drafted, 
and you fell in the draft, one of the knocks is that you're going to swing and miss. You're so big, you got long yeah. arms. Like that's just going to be part of your game. Guys your size are going to have some swing and miss. My point is always. If someone hits for power, why do I really care that much about that? If they draw yeah. some walks, which you do, if they hit bombs like you did at Miami, then that'll balance itself out. But one thing you've done really well, I feel like, is make contact, put the ball in play so far as a pro. I mean, how much have you kind of heard that knock and what's your take on it, so to speak, and, and what kind of work are you putting in to, to make sure it doesn't become an issue? Yeah, I mean, heard heard throughout my, my whole career, my swing and miss, and especially getting up to the draft. That my swing and miss was a, was a big problem, but I am I am where I am today because of the player that I am. And to be honest, I just I feel like I just go out there and obviously try to improve every single day. So the swings and miss is obviously going to be cut down. I have have a great team behind me in the Nationals organization as well, and we're working every single day to cut that down and do the best that I can be. You've also drawn walks. I mean that to me gets lost sometimes in the conversation. I feel like for a guy who can get an A swing off and and do damage like you are pretty disciplined. You early on getting to watch a lot of Fredericksburg, you go deep into a lot of counts. You spit on some pitches. I mean, is, is that something that's a current focus, or has that always been part of your game, even at Miami? I feel like that's probably a, a current focus, just being able to do damage in the pitch that I want to do damage in, and not just trying to swing crazy. Before I was just. I was just trying to get ahead of myself and try to damage early in the count, but you just got to be more calm, see more pitches, and and tax the pitcher and just do what I can. And we talked about some of the swing and miss. What are some ways that you're working on that? Is that something that you're working with a coaching staff on? Is that something that you know you work on every day in the cage? Like, how do you fix you know and and get better at some of the swing and swing and miss stuff that you know is in your game? I mean, I, I feel like it's just not swinging at pitches outside of the zone. I feel like that's where some of my swing and miss work outside of the zone and just just being more selective with my pitches and seeing, seeing the strike zone the strike zone better, just being greedy with that. Are you surprised at all with how you've performed? I mean, to hit 360 now through 60 at-bats is pretty incredible to start your pro career. And I know it's A-ball, but, I mean, you're, you're facing some decent pitching and some yeah. decent teams. Did you expect to get off to this kind of start? Are you surprised? I mean, I'm not surprised at all. If anything, I, I feel like I should have been doing better. Um, I just had to make a few adjustments in the beginning. I feel like the first couple of games, just getting used to it, getting back into the swing of things. So I'm not really really surprised. I, I feel like I know what I can do and I know what I bring to the table. So I, I feel good right now. I just keep, keep things going and keep working. And what's it been like? You're playing with Dylan Cruz, the first round pick. He just won Player of the Week this week. Andrew Pinkney, yeah. uh, you know, picked a couple of rounds later, was the Player of the Week last week. And you're getting to play with those guys. You're all putting results together from the same draft class. I don't know how familiar you were with those guys beforehand, but what's it been like playing with those yeah. guys? I mean, Pinkney is actually—I actually met him here for the for the first time, but obviously incredible baseball player at USNC, and I've known Dylan Cruz for the longest. I played with him when I was younger. Obviously, not much to say about him. He, he's he's one. He's a special kid. So playing with playing with those guys just just makes me want to be better and motivates me more to be the best that I can be. Uh, we obviously have a special group here in, in the NATO organization from guys that are already on top of us and guys drafting now, and we feel really confident. And we're just gonna keep working together. Uh, just being with those guys and seeing what they do differently helps me. I help them, and it's been going well so far.
Yeah, it's super exciting right now, especially at Fredericksburg, specifically as, as Tobes was talking about with you know the trio from the top four rounds of the draft. What makes Cruz so good, do you think? I saw yesterday five for five with two bombs. Yeah. Uh, why is he such a good hitter? And Just as someone who saw him, Team USA, going back as far as you do, yeah. like what do you, what do you think makes him what he is? I mean, he's a professional. Just the way he carries himself on the field, not only on the field, but off the field as well. The way he goes about his business, um, obviously, there was a game before that, he, he didn't really do much and didn't bother him at all. He just he knew what he has to do and he knows what he can do. So it's not like a bad game gets him or anything. He just comes the next day and goes 5-5 five, five with two home runs. So that's the type of player he is. Yeah, and obviously everyone knew about Dylan Cruz coming into the draft. It's someone that we talked about for basically the entire draft process, even the year before. It was someone that people were watching. But Andrew Pinckney is someone that the Nationals took in the fourth round that maybe was down yeah. some draft boards people didn't know about. What's impressed you about him that you've seen? You said you hadn't really met him, but now you get to see him up close yeah. in person. What's it been like playing with him, and uh, what kind of player is Andrew Pinckney? I mean, he's an all-around player. He's, he's thrown out a bunch of guys from the outfield already. I didn't know he had a strong arm like that. And just the way he makes contact. He makes solid contact almost every time. He, when he goes up there, rarely does he strike out. So he's going to be a big asset for sure in the in the future. So that was a great pick by them, obviously. Yoandi Morales playing at Fredericksburg with the Fred Nats. Uh, we'll talk non-baseball stuff and, and get to know you a little bit in a second, but I do have one more kind of nerdy baseball question. So you were at the U. You played in the ACC this year. I got to go to Wake Forest this year and got to walk out on the field and, and just kind of tour their pitching lab and see their facility yeah. after the season. I cannot believe how small that ballpark is. And you played, <laughs> yeah, I think, it's, like it's, four, okay. it's crazy, bro. You played, uh, I think, four games there, the and I'm looking it up. You're being small. Their pitchers, their pitchers did great for, for playing in that field. Oh, it's insane. Like, yeah, like Rhett Louder yeah. was the best pitcher in the country and went in the top ten, and he, he was the ACC player of the year the last two years, obviously, but their staff yeah. is nasty. But you played four games there. You hit three bombs. It's like, two, literally, Toby, it's 299, I think, or 297 or something down one of the lines. Like, yeah, I, I don't even know what, out, the, like crazy. what the point of it is. But I, I was standing <laughs> in the box, and I'm like a 200-career Little League hitter, and I was like, shoot, I might be able to hit this out. <laughs> like, what is it like for you when you go to, a, I would say, a ballpark like that, but there's probably only that ballpark, but you're standing yeah. there, and you feel like you could, like, sneeze a ball over the wall. <laughs> How do you stay in your game and your, your swing, like... I don't know. I guess yeah. it's a long question. What did yeah, you of think course, of playing you get there? Happy. Yeah, I mean, you get happy when you go up to the box and you see that field and just try to do some damage already in the count, just trying to get a ball up in the air that could go. A miss is it's a home run sometimes. You just got to stay under control and just have the same approach you've always had. Nah, not to get, not get too comfortable in there. The, they have the number one pitching staff in America, and a lot of that, I think, is they got good pitching. They got good stuff. Their pitching lab is yeah. off the charts. But I do wonder if it's guys trying to do too much sometimes, like psyching themselves out. Um, it could be. I mean, they should obviously show the numbers outside of their their home games as well. So. That's a good point. <laughs> and never mind. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> one last one before we get to know you off the field a little bit. Obviously, your dad was a baseball player as well. How much has he played into your process of being a, a second-round draft pick by the Nationals now and excelling in A-ball so far? What's that process been like with your dad as well? I mean, he's basically been my coach since I was younger and brought me up and He's taught me most of the things I, I know now. Always brings up everything, watches my games still, and brings up all the bad things I do. None of they're good. So <laughs> it's been some tough love for sure. Where Braddock High School in Miami, where you're from, are there other guys that have come out of 
that Miami-Dade area to go to the show, or are you the first? Uh, Harold, one of my Harold Martinez. Okay, so that's 7A, man. District 15, that, that's good baseball, <laughs> I guess. Uh, you you got two guys from the big leagues you're trying to follow the path of. All right, so let's get to know you a little bit. We'll start. We always start with food. I'm a portly fellow. We like talking food. Yep, me as well. Uh, so your meal of choice, maybe you, you know your birthday or you're celebrating. You can be as fat as possible. No one's judging you. What are you going to eat? Yeah. I mean, I eat anything, but probably have to go with my Cuban food. What is Cuban food when probably. someone says that? Oh, uh, it depends. A lot of rice and beans, and I'll be stirred probably. Okay. Okay. I can, I can mess with that. Have you found any good spots in Fredericksburg? I have not. We get a lot of really good food at the field. Oh, so you mostly eat at the ballpark. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how about what? what is your hobby or passion away from baseball when you get a day off? What do you like to do? I mean, I've been sleeping on these days off. I've <laughs> been doing a lot of working, but. If anything, I probably I like golfing, golfing and fishing. Are you a good golfer? No, <laughs> you're working on it. <laughs> yeah, I like that answer because I don't think that unless you're a professional, I don't think that any golfer is going to say they're a good golfer. It's I think that's just an honest answer. Hard. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to this because uh, I, I feel insufficient on the answer. You went to college in Miami. You had to do something down there. What else did you do other than baseball? I mean, yeah, but just beach here and there. I mean, I lived in Miami my whole life. It was obviously nothing, nothing new to me. There's just, just so many things you could do every day in Miami. It's just a Saturday. Yeah, my favorite restaurant in the world, Yardbird, Saturday, started in Miami. The field. That's what I'm just saying. It's just like another day at the beach for you. It's just a normal day. Yeah. Uh, what is your um, last show or, or movie that you binged or watched? What's a, a TV show you you like to watch? Oof. I just started watching Peaky Blinders right now. Oh, I love that Peaky show. Peaky Blinders Love is that good. show. That's a good one. Have you yeah, seen Oppenheimer? I'm into it right now. No, I haven't. Yeah, Killian Murphy's fantastic in Peaky Blinders, and he's fantastic in Oppenheimer. Grant and I yeah. could do a whole podcast on just yeah, that. That's, good... that's probably next. I know you don't get yeah, days well, off. Sure. A break, though. You don't get many days off, but you got it. there's a good movie theater right there. I think it's Movie Co. or whatever in Central Park. You got a really, it's attached to like a bowling alley. You got a good movie theater you can go to by the ballpark. Last thing for you here, Yohandi. You grow up a sports fan. Who were your teams that you were cheering for? We're obviously diehards here in the DMV for all the the Washington teams. Were there any teams that you were diehards about? (laughs) That's a good answer. You you could skip baseball. We'll we'll let you skip baseball. Who were there any teams you liked outside of other sports that you were repping? Football. Wherever wherever Tom Brady was, I was there. Oh, he's a Brady guy. Oh, Brady Mark. Well, hopefully you can bring the Nationals a couple of championships like Brady did for New England. Yep, that's the goal. All right, Yohandi. Well, we appreciate you, bro. Thanks so much. Have a good night, and uh, we'll catch up with you. We'll be Thank cheering you, you from afar. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Be good, good, man. Thank you. Big thanks to the man they call Yo-Yo for the time on this episode of Bustin' Loose Baseball. All right, Tobe, final thoughts, my guy. I'm never going to call him Yo-Yo unless he tells me he can because he's much too big for me to say something that would frustrate him. But I'm excited to see what the Nationals do this week, Grant, and I'm looking ahead to Sunday, the Little League Classic. That's going to be a fun one. So exciting week of Nationals baseball. Is that Sunday? Yeah, it's Sunday. I was thinking it was next week. That's going to be awesome to see. It's going to be fun. We're going to see the Nats going down the hill. You know, C.J. Abrams is going to be having a field day with all the kids. 
He's only a little bit older than some of those kids. <laughs> he, 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 He's th- not that much older than them. A couple of them might look older than yeah, him with their mustache. That's crazy. And the other thing, Grant, it's pretty cool. The Red Sox are coming to town. It feels like I've never seen the Red Sox at Nationals Park. I'm going to get over, over there and check it out. So pretty cool to see the Sox in town. Red Sox, Nats for three at Nats Park. And then they are hosting the Phillies, as you said, uh, Sunday, the final game of what would be the quote-unquote homestand is the Williamsport game, and then they are in New York to take on the Yankees who are heading to Miami to take on the Marlins. That's a long road trip. Then they go to uh, Mm -hmm. Rogers Center against the Blue Jays before the stretch run of the season. That'll do it for Episode 75 of Bustin' Loose Baseball. Big thanks to producer Darius Dameron and, of course, as always, to my sidekick, Toby Altizer. Grant Paulson saying so long. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your audio, Bustin' Loose Baseball. Please rate and review the podcast, only if you're going to do so favorably and very warmly and nicely Absolutely. and graciously. And also, and this is the most important thing, seriously, uh, please spread the word to your friends that are Nats fans. The only way they're going to listen is if they know that we're doing this twice a week and trying to give them you know, about an hour of really good Nats content a couple times a week. So thank you very much for helping to spread this thing and enjoy some Nats baseball this week.